I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harper, to my house. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers, bringing you another Top 10. Yep, and this month we are covering Interview with the Vampire, so it's the perfect time to break out our Top 10 favorite vampire movies. Now there was some talk about this list about maybe doing our Top 10 favorite vampires, you know, like yeah. individual vampires. And I think that would be a good list. We should save that for a later date. You know, and I actually started to do that, but it was a little too difficult because there's so many, especially when you consider these movies that have like sometimes dozens of vampires and multiple vampires that are like really awesome or, you know, iconic. Um you know, interview the vampire is a perfect point of that, right? And I don't yes. want to like litter my list with you know Armand and Lestat and Claudia and Lynn Louis, you know, from Interview the Vampire, right? So it was a little easier for me to kind of pick out whole movies in the genre. And I really thought that this was going to be a very easy list. I was just like, there's no way. I mean, like 10 vampire movies for sure. I can just pull that out of my ass or whatever. But it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? I kind of pulled it out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> the more I started making my list, I was like, oh, yeah, that one and this one. And then I had to like re recanoodle everything and get it in just the perfect order. And it was it was kind of a difficult list to make. So did you say recanoodle? I did. I mean, and it's. <laughs> a word right so. okay so moving on uh yeah so do you want to you want to get started sure okay so my number 10 is a movie called Stakeland. it was made in 2010 and directed by jim mickle have you seen it haven't seen it it's so good and originally when i was making the list i was just like oh i forgot about this one and I mean, it's it's recent. I think it's the most recent movie on my list, but it's amazing to me. It takes place in this like American post-apocalyptic society where vampires have sort of taken over everything and like killed everyone. And a, a guy like takes in this orphaned boy, trains him to be a vampire hunter, and they're sort of like trying to get to this this free zone, the safe zone, in this post-apocalyptic, I can't even say that, post-apocalyptic vampire wasteland. Like it's you, just, could say, it, you could say re-canoodle, but you can't say post-apocalyptic? I don't know. It's something about my mouth. You know? <laughs> it's Your the, mouth. Mouth. <laughs> mouth. It's the gayness of my tongue. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's a really good movie. I like it so, so much. And it has Kelly McGillis in it, you know, from Top Gun. She plays this, like, older nun. Oh. Yeah. So that's the other movie she was in. Yeah, it's super <laughs> worth to watch just for just for seeing Kelly McGillis' second movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered what happened to her. Well, she made Stakeland. There you go. Okay, well, I'll have to see it. It's good. My number 10 is Shadow of the Vampire from the year 2000. Ooh. And of course, this uh, this stars Willem Dafoe as Count Orlock. And in this film, of course, he's really Count Orlock. He's really 
uh, a vampire. And of course it has John Malkovich and Carrie Elwes and Eddie Izzard. And I think his first cinematic role uh, or even role that I ever saw him in after, uh, after dress to kill his big HBO special. Oh my God. He's in that movie. Um, yeah, he is. I think he's a, he's like a producer or something. It's been a long time since I've, I've seen this, but uh, I know that it was uh, at least Defoe was nominated for an Academy award for best supporting actor. Uh, for playing Count Orlock, which is, uh, you know, the Nosferatu with the big long fingers. And, you know, so he had all this makeup on and everything else, but he was brilliant in that role. So I would, uh, I would recommend anyone to watch this. It's uh, the exact genre is metafiction <laughs> because it's <laughs> a fiction based on a fiction, right? It's right. Yeah. So it's basically a fictional tale of the making of Nosferatu essentially. Right. So I don't know. It was, uh, it's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, really good performances and uh, interesting direction, interesting take on that story. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching that when it first came out and liking it. I don't think I've seen it since then, but it had so much Oscar buzz that I had to watch that movie. Not to mention it's like really like horror adjacent and it was good. I mean, like the, the, that performance was fantastic. Yeah. What's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is something that I've talked about on other top tens. Most recently, our top 10 favorite Stephen King adaptations. And that's Salem's Lot from 1979, directed by Toby Hooper. Oh, I like this movie a lot. And for the same qualities that I think you would like Shadow of the Vampire. I mean, it has a, a Nosferatu feel about the vampire. And I mean, Stephen King just creates a really good fictional town being overrun by, by vampires. It's... It's classic. It's good. It's long. It was a miniseries, but I, I think it's still effective today and great. And I, I think everyone should go check that one out. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I think I've, we just mentioned it in one of our past episodes, but I had just, um, I had seen it and I never really revisited it, but you'd convinced me that I needed to. So I'm still, it's still on my list to go revisit. I think it's time for a rewatch for you. And I'm sure, I think it's streaming somewhere. I know you can watch it. And actually, it's funny because I actually went into Salem uh, the other day, as one does when they're Salem adjacent. (laughs) And uh, I went into Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery. And it was basically a a wax museum, but it didn't just have the wax figures. It had uh, like the impressions of all these horror directors' faces and including actors (gasps) like Tim Curry and uh, all kinds of uh, signatures with photos of all these actors that had been there or they had gotten and um, a lot of like uh, set pieces and uh, stuff like that. But these wax figures were legit. And one of the ones that actually scared me was one from Salem's Lot. Really? And it was like the Nosferatu-like old vampire in the big black robe. Mm -hmm. And it was so lifelike, I like turned a corner and it was there, like hovering over me. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) So... A lot of them looked super, super real. Like the Carrie one was good. Blood on her and everything just post, you know, pig's blood. And uh, the one that scared me the most was probably the nun. And it was so real. I just kept staring at it, waiting to see if it moved. And I didn't get any uncanny valley from something that doesn't move at all, right? It was so incredibly real. I just kept thinking it was someone in impeccable makeup or something. And it freaked me out. So I don't know if you're ever in Salem, go to Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery and uh, you can witness all of these for yourselves. Um, They even had movie monsters like uh, Swamp Thing and 
uh, or not Swamp Thing, but the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, multiple Bella Lugosi's and different things, and uh, of course Count Orlock. And they had uh, two different aliens, and including the first one from Alien 1979, in which the uh, the head case was uh, slightly transparent, and no other alien costume has been like that since. And so it had a lot of detail in it, and it was just perfect. So anyway, I plan on going back and showing whoever I can when I take them to Salem. So huge derail. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but that was my little bit on seeing uh, Salem's Lot a little bit in person. So that was uh, that was fun. Well, hopefully it will entice you to watch the movie again, at least for that. I mean, if you were scared by it or like intrigued by it, you should go revisit this. I think, I think maybe we should revisit this at some point. I mean, who knows? Yes. No, I think we should. The only thing I was missing was Piper Laurie. I think she should have been in there, <laughs> but she wasn't. And I definitely have to go to this place when I come visit you. Faux show. Yes. Well, my number nine is Daybreakers, the 2009 science fiction action horror film. And uh, it, it, of course, it has uh, Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe again, along with Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame. But uh, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic futuristic world that's overrun by vampires. And um, it kind of centers around a vampire, uh, like a vampiric corporation, which sets out to capture and farm any remaining uh, people, humans. Uh, while trying to research at the same time a substitute for human blood as they are running out. So there are like pockets of humans still left. And it's just, it's a really interesting story. It's not the best film, but it's got so many good moments. Uh, or not so many, but such good moments. Uh, there's one moment that sticks out to me at the end. It's it's um, just a massive battle between uh, groups of vampires. And uh, it's just like a slow moving painting it looks like a renaissance painting where they're all just in slow motion there's so many things happening on the screen at once that is just such a beautiful interesting way to film something so if only just to see that uh kind of jaw-dropping cinematography at the end of it um that's reason enough to to pick this one up and watch it i mean so i saw this movie when it first came out and i'm not quite sure i remember liking it i don't think i remember much of it so it's probably due for a rewatch for me it seemed a little matrixy right when it came out or is it i mean am i just way off base with that maybe you're thinking like equilibrium or something or one of the others that came out in the early 2000s or late 90s like dark city or something i don't know it does seem maybe a little matrixy but it's kind of post matrix right it's 2009 yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I can see that, I guess. It's dark. It's there's, you know, sci-fi action horror. But yeah, I can, I can see you say that. Uh, I need to watch it again, too, because it's been a long time. I only watched it the one time myself. Uh, I just remember certain scenes that were done so well. And of course, William Dafoe and Ethan Hawke are always good. Yes. Well, and after one viewing, I mean, if, it, if it's high enough to put on your list, then that's that's really good praise. So that's Fantastic. Well, I immediately thought of it when I was making my list. So that's something, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, my number eight is The Hunger from 1983, directed by Tony Scott. And um, this movie, to me, is very it's very cool. It's very sexy. It stars Catherine Deneuve and 
uh, David Bowie and Susan Sarandon as this love triangle of... I can't believe I haven't seen this. And I really want you to watch it. It's so, so good. I mean, it makes me wish that I was a lesbian. Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And I rarely ever feel that way, believe me. But um, So Catherine Deneuve plays this aging vampire, this really ancient vampire. And she sort of grants this, you know, eternal life to people that she wants to make her lover and she does this to david bowie back in the 18th century and he discovers that eternal life is accurate but he's not going to be eternally young and as he's starting to age she sort of starts to replace him with susan sarandon right and so this is weird like uh seduction of becoming a vampire and like you know it it's just really good on so many levels. It's an amazing movie. It's super, super cool. I think everyone needs to watch it. And it's incredibly sexy. Like, there's some really good scenes between, like, Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon that are forever ingrained in my in my brain. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm just surprised that I haven't even heard about it until now. Oh, you've never even heard of it? Really? No. Never. Oh my god, it's so, so good. It's so good. Not until you put it... Yeah, not until you mentioned it. Like, <laughs> I... You mentioned it that you were going to put it on your list, and that's when you first told me about it, and I had never even heard of it before. I was like, wait, Susan Sarandon's in a vampire movie? And then I was like, wait, David Bowie's in a vampire yes. movie? And they're in it together? I mean... Where's Tilda Swinton? I, oh, you know, she may ruin it, actually. But <laughs> 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 I kind of think you would like this movie quite a bit, you know? And I... Well, that movie already has one David Bowie. <laughs> oh, Tilda. <laughs> I don't think that's an insult against either of them. No, I guess not. I mean, I'm still, I'm just now coming to terms with my, you know, somewhat liking of Tilda Swinton. So I, I don't want to. Infatuation. I wouldn't even. Budding infatuation. I wouldn't even call it infatuation. It's crush. A little crush on her based on like oh. two movies and that's it. I mean, I may, I may like her as an actress. We'll see. I would say crush is uh, another word for a, uh, maybe a rube word for, b- rub- <laughs> for budding <laughs> infatuation. I'm just a well-polished rube. <laughs> what is your number eight? My number eight is What We Do in the Shadows by Taika Wakiki. Wait. <laughs> Taika Watiti. Yeah, I think that's better. <laughs> Taika Wakiki. <laughs> Taika Watiti. Yes, that's right. Anyway, so of course, this is all over pop culture right now, and it has its own show, which stars Tilda Swin. And uh, no, this is a, it's a modern classic. And uh, if, if, if someone has been hiding under a rock and hasn't seen it, go see it. It's a mockumentary or a comedy film, and it's just straight from the brain of uh, Taika Waititi. If you're more of a mainstream person, he's the same guy that did Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and if you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, but you have what we do in the shadows, go see Thor Ragnarok. My God, please do. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm pretty much interested in pretty much everything this guy does from now on, except I have very little interest in that jack rabbit go rabbit whatever the um i kind of want to see it i mean like the reviews have been pretty good so i mm, i kind of trust him i just okay well i might see it when it comes out on (laughs) demand 
So, and uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but we're going to be talking about this movie again later on in the list. Oh, but before then, <clears throat> my number seven favorite vampire movie is From Dusk Till Dawn from 1996, directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by Quentin Tarantino. Robert Rodriguez directed a vampire movie? Yeah, From Dusk Till Dawn. I'm joking. I'm oh. joking. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about this movie several times before. I know. I mean, completely off mic, you, but, oh, I mean, has this made it into a top 10 list? I mean, I don't think so. At least not from. Uh, yeah, quotes. Oh, you're right. The quotes was, oh, you're that big yeah. quote. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm losing a copyright battle for it on YouTube right now because it has the, like, ACDC or whatever in the background. Just ZZ Top speech. That, yeah. ZZ Top, yeah. <laughs> From Dust Till Dawn is just a super cool movie. I mean, so this is like pre... I mean, maybe I'm getting my timelines wrong. So From Dust Till Dawn, did that come out before or after Pulp Fiction? Do you remember? After. Was it? Yeah, because Tarantino didn't make a name for himself until after Pulp Fiction. I thought that was his name maker. But I mean, I I don't I, re- I recently rewatched this movie and I was thinking, I was just like, well... This is a good like precursor to Pulp Fiction, but I mean, I need I, sh- I probably should have done my research before we recorded this, but I mean, it was back when Quentin Tarantino was Quentin Tarantino, and I even feel bad saying that now because I think his movies are solely his own. I think if you watch one of his movies, you're watching a Tarantino movie. Yeah, so he did Reservoir Dogs in 1992 and Pulp Fiction in 94. Oh, okay. Right? And so Tarantino also did not direct it. He didn't even co-direct it. Robert Rodriguez did, and Quentin Tarantino was probably helping him direct, but mostly starred in it, right? Yeah. Um, You know, because I think what he was doing right after that was Jackie Brown in 1997. Which I also love. Yeah. So, but From Dust Till Dawn, I think it's a fantastic vampire movie. I think it's probably one of my favorite George Clooney performances. And possibly one of my favorite Harvey Keitel performances. I think it's just a really fun movie. Super quotable, super enjoyable, lots of action. The vampires look really monstrous and gnarly. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just it's just a really good movie. So much gore. And it's just so funny. And I just I love the shit out of this movie so, so much. So my number seven is Fright Night from 1985 directed by spider-man <laughs> what that's, it says it's directed by tom holland i know but that's not right is it <laughs> <laughs> he was merely i don't he wasn't even born yet that's probably true <laughs> uh, yeah the, this tom holland is 76 years old now he was born in 1943 um yeah so wrong tom holland but anyway uh, Fright Night is the 1985 American horror film. And of course, it's famously stars Chris Sarandon and uh, Roddy McDowell. And uh, that's about it. Amanda Beersey mm-hmm. from uh, Married with Children is also in that movie. I don't remember who she is. She's the love interest. Well, anyway, this is a tongue in cheek, uh, <laughs> you know, horror comedy. Um, you know, it, it didn't really sell itself as a comedy, but it's a comedy. I mean, let's keep it real. So I don't know. It's uh it's just a classic. I mean, it's uh I would say it's a lot of people's favorite vampire movie, probably yours. Um, you know, it's it's just it knows it's one of those movies that just knows its own tone, right? And of course, this is about the vampire that moves in next door on a normal neighborhood, you know, and wacky hijinks ensue, right? So it's uh, it's just a great like popcorn movie. Sit down on Halloween and just you know watch it and enjoy yourself, you know. 
So I, I don't know that I want to say much more because I'm, I'm, I have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be on your list. I think you know me too well, then. Yeah. Because it, it will, it will be coming up again in this in this list. Okay. Well, I'll let you talk about it then. Okay. Uh, so my number six is Martin from 1977, directed by George A. Romero. Okay. And um, I know that I've talked about this movie before because it made my list of our top 10 favorite film scores. Yes. And I'm going to revisit that score for when we record Interview with the Vampire because, uh, and I'm going to try and look into it, but based on what I've heard from Martin and the score that we shared for that top 10, Mm -hmm. it sounds very similar to, um, like, I think like the Libre May or whatever track from Interview with the Vampire with the boys chorus. And uh, I almost wonder if they use Martin uh, score as kind of a, a test score, a temp track uh, to get the tone down. And then Elliot Goldenthal kind of went forward with that because it's kind of um, it's not really Elliot Goldenthal's bag to do like a slow haunting type of situation the rest of the score is a little bit more bombastic than that first track so it'd be interesting to see if i could find out and make that connection and if it's close enough then i'm definitely going to be playing and comparing those so you guys can uh, can listen to it too well and I, I want to listen to that as well because i when you said that to me off mic i i, I thought about it and i was like well the score for martin is all over the place that the track that we shared for that particular episode is the only one sort of like it. The rest of it gets real jazzy and weird, you know? And yeah, but that's so- one track in particular <clears throat> is very similar to one track in particular from Interview the Vampire. So, and it came out uh, just like a, a couple years later, right? So, when did Martin come out? 1977. So, okay. So, a years little, before. little more than a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> Interview the Vampire came out in 1993, I think. Um, I think think it was yeah, 93 94 around that area yeah. okay um but martin is great i think it's i don't think it's a really often seen george romero movie it may have been forgotten as the ages have gone by like a lot of his movies have people seem to think that george romero only made zombie movies and that's not the case i mean he made tons of great other horror movies that didn't involve zombies at all and i think martin is just one of them and i just don't think a lot of people have seen it and that kind of makes me sad it's sort of like a combination of a uh, vampire serial killer kind of movie and it's just it's very special to me and george romero is very special to me he's my favorite horror director and this is just I, i think a prime example of his you know prowess of as a horror filmmaker and i think yeah. that people should go and watch it okay. it's kind of hard to find and, and i don't think it's streaming anywhere i don't even think you can rent it at this point oh that sucks so because yeah, i really wanted to I'm, do a patreon episode on it when i went back and kind of dove into it well i have a copy so we're just gonna have to mail it back and forth but i mean if i'm gonna trust you with this copy of martin you're gonna have to send it back to me the do it. <laughs> or i'll just come up to boston and get it that's the plan. Okay, just hold on my shit hostage. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number six? My number six is 30 Days of Night from Ooh. 2007. So this was uh, based on a comic book miniseries of the same name. Uh, it was directed by David Slade uh, and stars Josh Hartnett. Oh, he's so cute. Yes, he and he And I think he uh, later revisited the genre when he did uh, Penny Dreadful, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah. He's still cute in that, too. He hasn't Which really aged great. at all. He looks the same to me. Um, well, I just remember that I didn't really like this film that much, and I still don't really, but the vampires in it are so iconic. Yes. Uh, they're done so well, and it's so ridiculously violent that I do want to revisit this because it may just have been a little ahead of its time. But I do remember it being some of it being a little silly, and and I dismissed some of it. So I just I just need to revisit it. But I put it so high on the list just because it was so iconic, and it actually is kind of viewed historically better than it was released. I think uh, the critical reaction was like fifty one percent, and the consensus was. While 30 Days of Night offers a few thrills, it ultimately succumbs to erratic execution, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it sounds like I wrote it back then. So I don't know. Um, I'm thinking that I need to rewatch it, but I just it was memorable enough and the premise is memorable enough um, that I that it's, it's definitely worth watching. And it is it is one of those classic vampire movies at this point that everyone should see if they're a fan of the genre. I mean, I like what you say ahead of its time because I think that's true of this particular movie. I mean, some might call it silly and I would call it stylized, right? I think that it's very singular and it's, portrayal of vampires especially its setting and just the way the movie was oh yeah have a very stylized look uh you're right that it was a very stylized look because i think um of course it was based on that comic and i think he was trying to kind of i think this was a little before like uh the Zack snyder doing Watchmen and Zack snyder doing you know uh other comics and, and other people right. doing so comics it's... like you know panel by panel and it's definitely of that ilk. I mean, like, this is totally like the Zack Snyder area of time where he was doing yeah. like 300 and so on and so forth. And I mean, like, some people either really liked it or they didn't, you know, in all those movies, just based on its style. And I mean, I happen to like 30 Days of Night. I mean, not enough to put it on my list. But again, I only saw it the one time, you know, and yeah. so... I, I remember liking it. I remember liking the characters. I think Melissa George is in that movie and I like her quite a bit. Yeah. And I, I really do need to go back and watch that again. So I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of it. Okay. So uh, my number five movie is one that we're going to talk about later on in the month. And that's Interview with the Vampire from 1994, directed by Neil Jordan. Oh, yeah, and I don't want to say too, too much about it, because I know that we're going to talk about this movie and all of its incredibly gay vampires, so let's just move on to your number five. My number five is Let the Right One In, and I'm talking about the Swedish one. Uh, I'm not talking about, what was the American one called? Let Me In? Let Me In, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, I, I haven't seen the American one, and I'm not sure I want to, Oh, I haven't, um, I haven't seen the Swedish one. <laughs> well, the Swedish one, you know, obviously was popular and well-received enough to garner the second one. I have listened to the score, which is, I think, by Giacchino, uh for the really? American one. Yeah, and oh. it's a really good score. It's on my uh, playlist for horror scores and scores in general. But uh, the original Swedish version uh, from 2008 uh, is actually based on, of course, a novel. Uh, by the same title, also a Swedish author, I believe, John Linkvist. Yeah, he's a, a Swedish writer of horror novels and short stories. So I'd like to—I'd be interested to see what else he's made that is going to be made into films, um, if anything. So anyway, so obviously, let the right one in is about a um, a twelve-year-old boy who develops a friendship with a vampire child in a, a suburb of Stockholm in the 1980s and it's just done so so well and there's such a 
an atmosphere to it. And I love films with, with a really, um, you know, a really well-defined atmosphere and a feeling to it. And there's just something about this film and the story that just has a very specific feeling to it. And I can't say that I even want to see this again, but it did leave a lasting effect on me and it is very memorable. Um, maybe the American one is a little bit easier to swallow. You know, maybe it's easier to watch. But this one is definitely has a melancholy to it and almost uh, an, an inevitability to it that is uh, kind of unique. So if any of you haven't seen the story, I mean, if you really want to just, you don't feel like you're a subtitles type of person or you don't understand Swedish, then uh, go ahead and see the American one and let me know what you thought. And honestly, anyone that's seen both, let me know what your preference is because neither Robert nor myself have seen both. And I, I really should have seen the Swedish one by now. <clears throat> Just that I saw the American one first, and I really didn't like it. And so, like, the instinct to go and watch the original was sort of, like, quashed by that, you know? But I know it's well-regarded in horror circles, and I know there are, like, some scenes in that movie that are quite yeah, intense. Yeah, Tomatoes, <sighs> it has a 98% certified fresh rating. That's amazing. And the consensus is, Let the Right One In reinvigorates the seemingly tired vampire genre by effectively mixing scares with intelligent storytelling, which I would agree 100% with. I don't know that I agree, because I haven't, I haven't seen the movie, right? But I, 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 And we're going to talk about this, I think, when we talk about Interview the Vampire in our deep dive. But it, are vampire movies ever, like, off the radar? I mean, are they ever, do they need to be reinvigorated? They're always there. Right. Well, um, I don't know if I agree with their word choice there so much as I think that it breathes some new life. You know, it's a new story coming from a completely different angle. Yeah. Okay. I get that. And so that's, I guess, a breath of fresh air yes. might be good. That's a good way to put it. Okay. You know, so um, maybe I agree with it 90%. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I need to watch this movie. I need to just forget the American one and just go watch the original and just get lost in it, I'm sure. Yeah. On paper, I would love it. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, Near Dark from 1987, directed by Catherine Bigelow. And um, it was one of the first movies that I really latched onto as a kid. So I don't know how much of this is like nostalgia boner or not, but I, I think it's a really well-made vampire movie it's almost like a western at times so it's about like a group of vampires who travel during the day in this like blacked out rv and they just go from like city to city and it's so amazing and i i love Catherine bigelow you know i mean everyone sort of shits Why? on i everyone shits on a hurt locker but i like the hurt locker i don't know <laughs> But I also really like Near Dark, and maybe that's it. Maybe I like The Hurt Locker so much because I appreciate Near Dark so much. And back when I was a kid, it was almost unheard of for women to be directing horror movies, and I just really, really love Near Dark. It's just good. The vampires are great. It's a really gritty-looking movie. I just I like it quite a bit. It had Lance Henriksen in it, right? Yes. Yes, it does. 
That's all I remember of it. And I watched it maybe 10 years ago. That's a lot of shared people between James Cameron at the time. I mean, I don't know if they were married at that particular moment or whatnot, but maybe. they shared a lot of actors between Aliens and this movie. I mean, there's there's a lot of interconnection. Yeah. And I mean, so it, it's a good movie to watch, like maybe in tandem with that one, just to see what things were like back in, you know, the mid 80s, you know. And Yeah, but watch Aliens second so you don't end with like a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> Oh, bitch, what's your number four? (laughs) (laughs) My number four is Interview with a Vampire from 1994. (laughs) Okay. Should have just looked at my own list for that year. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this is directed by Neil Jordan of the uh, the Crying Game fame, correct? And the Company of Wolves as well. So, I mean, he's, he's got some horror cred. So uh, this is considered a gothic romantic horror film. And of course, it's based on Anne Rice's 1976 novel of the same name. And it stars Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, as well as uh, Stefan Rea, Antonio Banderas, Christian Slater, Kirsten Dunst. The music's by Elliot Goldenthal. It's a masterpiece. What else do I have to say? Mm-hmm. We're covering it, so we're not going to talk too much about it. But it is one of those films that has... Possibly, if I were going to make a top 10 for atmosphere, this would probably be near the top because it is definitely nails a a tone. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's nothing quite like it. And um, everything's everything's working for it. The direction and the the actors and the, the set dressing and the costumes and the music and everything's just working towards this very specific feeling. And uh, not every movie can do that, right? Um, it was uh, very focused. Well, and not every movie, not every movie, especially the movies that are on our list so far, are the kind of budget that this one has. You know what I mean? So people have put a lot of money into this particular vampire movie. And, I mean, you know, we're, we're really going to, like, dissect all of that. I think there's a lot to be said about Interview with the Vampire. I think some people maybe just count it as, you know, a piece of, like, mid-90s star-studded studio movie but i mean no no yeah. i mean i think the the material attracted attracted them and of course the director uh was attracted to the material oh, yeah. and you know the actors were were of course attracted to the director and the material so uh there's a lot to talk about uh about the making and the formation of how this film was made you know some interesting things going on with the casting and 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 things like that but uh yeah we're gonna have to digress because we're gonna have to save this conversation for another day that's right so stay tuned for that episode coming up very soon Mm -hmm. but until then my number three movie is the lost boys also from 1987 directed by joel schumacher you really like your trashy vampire movies i sure do i mean i can't help it <laughs> I, I think i'd almost take uh catherine bigelow over joel schumacher honestly <laughs> he's part of our gay brethren i mean my god okay but we cast him out after he made batman and robin and that abortion of phantom of the opera i love batman and robin so you bite your tongue okay there's some bat nipples in that movie and i really really enjoy it but that's for another conversation i really enjoy my vampires when they come with a touch of homosexuality maybe on the like the sidelines you know maybe not so much in your face and i think the lost boys really 
has that in spades, right? So we have Keith O'Sutherland. I think that sounds more like wishful drinking. To I me. mean, I mean, I don't know. When I was a kid watching The Lost Boys, maybe as a, a little gay boy, a, a teenager, when I watched it again, you may have been projecting, and it happens, <laughs> you know. But I, there's just something about that movie. It's so gritty and so dirty, yeah. and like no, it's a classic. And I just, I liked it. I liked the characters quite a, quite a bit. And I really enjoyed this like pseudo homosexual relationship that the two like male leads had. And it just stuck in my brain. And I watched this movie all the time. Not to mention that like shirtless saxophone player when they're at the carnival. Right. I mean, I was the last time you saw the lost boys. I mean, what was that movie that came out probably before that based on the book? That had like all of those like Patrick Swayze and like Tom Cruise and like River Phoenix and like every other, you know, heartthrob at the time. And it. it was like eight of oh them. Oh, my God. Yeah. My nephew just read that book, too. Oh, I'm never going to remember it. Fuck. Look it up. The Outsiders. Yes. Matt Dillon, Ralph uh, Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe. Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, Leif Garrett. I mean, I... Leif Garrett, (laughs) my God. The Outsiders is a great novel, too. I love that book. It's fantastic. I think I've only seen the movie one time. I don't... The the book is great. But uh, I don't... Diane Lane is also in it. I like Diane Lane, too. But The Lost Boys is... I was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Was it really? (laughs) Yes. The Outsiders. I'm sure he's... Well, that's a nice segue into my next pick. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Do you have anything else to say about Lost Boys? <laughs> well, now that I know what your next pick is, I don't. <laughs> I mean, the Lost Boys is good fun. I think that a lot of people look on it fondly. They remember it well, and it's just a fun vampire movie. I really like the. I don't. I don't even know. I came from my finger on it. I think it's just nostalgia boner for me. That's that's all it is. But I I watch the Lost Boys all the time. I listen to that song "Cry Little Sister" all the time. You know, so Cry Little Sister, mm-hmm. you? So it just seems like like a bad Angel <laughs> episode to me. But you know, well, that was a bad show. I need to. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's your number three? My number three is Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola of The Outsiders fame and a couple other small films. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think he only made like two, right? So he's, of course, known for The Godfather, Godfather Obviously. Part 2, uh, and of course, that one war movie, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, oh, he did The Conversation and um, a lot of other, like, he. <laughs> Captain EO from Disneyland. <laughs> the, the Michael Jackson thing? Yeah. <laughs> the Rainmaker. Oh my god, he's just been all Patton, over the place. Apocalypse Now. How come I've never heard of him? It's yeah. so weird. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the gothic horror film, of course, uh, starring Gary Oldman as Dracula, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, and Keanu Reeves in his most unfortunate casting. Mm. The music, of course, showed up on our top ten, um, and of course, it's by Wojciech Kilar. So, a name that he cannot, that Robert cannot spell nor say. I know, just you saying it now brought back all these like flashbacks <laughs> of memories. And I'm like, God, I'm still so impressed he can say that name. <laughs> Boy, Jack Keeler. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, with the closing credits theme, Love Song of Fire Vampire, performed by Annie Lennox. I do love Annie Lennox. So, I don't know. Uh, this is uh, kind of an experimental film in my, you know, based on on everything that I know about it. And I know quite a bit about it. Depending on your point of view, it was successful or unsuccessful in varying degrees for different things. But essentially, uh, this is Francis Ford Coppola trying to make a classic story in the way it might have or could have been filmed back in 1899-1900 when the story is supposed to take place. And so every single effect is done in camera. So you have like a scene where like a montage where you know he's traveling across the country you know his countryside uh traveling from england to you know transylvania and like the diary is in front as they're reading out of it so it's kind of like that but instead of like transposing like two different you know film strips on top of each other they literally made like a 10 foot wide diary with real pages you know, to put in front of a model train so they could get it all in one shot. I so didn't know it was that, meti- really? yes, it was meticulously done that way, uh, so that uh, it would it had an authentic feel, and you know that may have been just kind of you know a vanity kind of situation for Francis Ford Coppola. He actually ended up firing his uh, visual effects supervisor, I believe, and actually hired his son because his son quote-unquote just got it right he understood what his father wanted as far as doing everything in camera with models and and just film trickery and um you know it looks like modern effects a lot of the time you can't tell that they're dated or or fake or something but they're done so that they they could have been done that same way the only thing that's different is like say the film stock which is obviously you know 1990s quality so that you didn't seem like you were watching a silent film or something but they do use that film in that an original camera for a piece of the film uh while they're watching people go down the streets of london which is interesting but anyway i digress the making of this film is really really interesting to me as a film student um way back in the day and um you know watching this film i see something new or view in a slightly different way every time and to me this film is like incredibly rewatchable instead of putting all of like the money um onto effects and 3d effects and things like that they basically poured it all into costumes and the massive amount of their budget was on the costumes for which they of course um were nominated if not won the academy award i believe yes they won the best costume design best sound editing and best makeup which all of which were well deserved and they're of course nominated for best art direction which they could have won for but um it was to me uh it was just like a lot of things in one there's a lot of design and you know nerdy geeky stuff going on but also gothic horror at the same time and gary oldman and you know almost a career defining performance um in several different aspects of dracula including the monsters and everything else i kind of expected this movie to be number one for you i think just because i know from being your friend how much you appreciate this movie and like this movie and so it kind of shocks me that it's number three and i'm curious to see what your next two picks are but with that being said i know you just called it rewatchable i've only seen this movie one fucking time (laughs) oh my (laughs) jesus yeah way back when it first came out so i am definitely due for rewatching this one and based on your talk just then i think that we need to go ahead and schedule this movie for some sort of deep dive pretty soon yeah, I think uh, it's actually on our uh, on our calendar. Is it really? I think so. 
I need to double check that shit then. Good, because now I want to rewatch it. So, <laughs> Uh, my number two movie is something that we've already talked about in this list. It's what we do in the shadows from 2014 by Taika Waititi. Um, this movie is so fucking hilarious. It made my list of horror comedies back when we did that in uh, April of well this year. And um, <laughs> I fucking love this movie and I have loved it since it came out. I've watched it so, so many times and I really, I mean, not only do I enjoy my vampires to have a, like a twinge of homosexuality with them, but I also enjoy a funny vampire movie and there are so many. In fact, there were some that I wanted to put on this list that I had to sort of take off just because they were better movies, you know, in my opinion, but I love a good vampire comedy and this one is just the funniest to me. I, I really enjoy like the, the mockumentary style. I think they did it well. And I just, this movie is quotable. It's rewatchable. It's just perfect. It's damn near perfection in my opinion. So if you have not seen this movie, go watch it. I still haven't watched the TV series, so I need to, I need to get on that. My number two is Dracula from 1931. So this is me kind of paying homage like I normally do. My favorites are generally kind of in the middle or down the list uh, on mine, uh, just because I feel like uh, my personal taste uh, exists slightly outside of, you know, what should be, you know, a number one or what should be a number two. And maybe I'm wrong for doing that, but, um, you know, I have to give credit where it's due. You know, the 1931 uh, version of Dracula was really kind of the first American take, I want to say, that was popular. And of course, it stars Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula. And of course, this is the beginning of the uh, the universal, you know, horror movies. And it's actually not directly based on the book. It's actually based on the stage play Dracula by Hamilton Dean and John uh, Balderston. So, of course, which was loosely based on the novel by Bram Stoker. But um, uh, this movie was very interesting because it was also kind of uh, filmed in the Spanish uh, version at the same time. It still holds up. It's still good. It's the performances are still are are still good. Uh, some might say the um, the Spanish version was actually filmed better. Uh, I believe the Spanish film was was filmed at night and using the same sets, while the American version was done during the day. So I'm not sure that anything else has been kind of quite done that way before. But uh, anyway, Bela Lugosi did kind of a career-defining role here as Count Dracula. He would always be known for that for the rest of his career and his life, and is still known for that, and it's still a household name, especially with horror fans. So if you haven't seen this, this is the original, um, as far as the American take on Dracula, and it's kind of spawned a whole genre after it. Uh, I would highly recommend you do it, just so you can cross it off your, you know, vampire film list if any if nothing else because it's up there oh yeah it definitely is a must-see just for for those reasons alone i think it's a well-made movie and it's enjoyable but you can totally trace like american vampire movies solely from this one i think it sort of like sets up rules it sets up some sort of aesthetic right for that and i think i mean like hammer movies alone have so much to you know pay in debt to this particular version of Dracula. I haven't seen it since I was a young kid. So I, I rarely ever go back and rewatch any of these like classic universal movies. And I probably should as an adult. So yeah, I think I'm probably missing out on something like that. 
So my number one is something that we've also already talked about on this list. Um, Chris, I forgot what number it was, but my number one is Fright Night from 1985, directed by Tom Hunt. It's so fucking good. I love this movie. I have seen this movie more times than I could possibly count. And I think it's just a really good combination of everything that I like about horror is like sort of put into this one movie, right? We have a movie about horror fans dealing with some sort of like horror situation in their, you know, quote unquote real life. We have a horror host, right? So someone in the vein of like Elvira coming to the rescue and helping this person. Not to mention the vampires have their own sort of iconic look to them. And when you called it a comedy, you're right. It really is a funny movie. And I mean, like Tom Holland makes funny horror movies but i mean i really really enjoy fright night i enjoyed the remake that came out recently quite a bit and i mean it's just just a fun story for me and i will never grow tired of watching it or grow tired of these characters and just everything about it to me it is the ultimate vampire movie of all time what movie you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> My number one is possibly the first movie and what actually I think is the first movie based on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is Nosferatu, which was kind of illegally done against copyright. So they renamed uh, Vampire to Nosferatu and renamed Count Dracula to Count Orlok. And of course, this was uh, directed by a German uh, expressionist filmmaker uh, named uh, Murnau and... Of course, it famously stars Max Schreck as, you know, the the titular Nosferatu. And of course, we've seen that throughout film. I think even like Tim Burton named like the main villain in Batman Returns, Max Schreck, you know, based on this. So we keep seeing like echoes of, of different parts of this throughout time. And of course, this is the movie that uh, Shadow of the Empire was based off of the making for, right? So... Um, this is the, the granddaddy of all vampirism in cinema. The way this is filmed and everything else is very, um, I would say, uh, particular to the style of the director. Like I said, um, uh, expressionist, it's very German expressionist from the 1920s and it's, uh, it's just as famous for that as it is for being, uh, Nosferatu, you know, everything, uh, Bram Stoker. And of course, uh, there's a whole thing about the making of this and the aftermath of this and what it all means to American cinema and German. I mean, the widow of Bram Stoker was still around and she actually sued, right? And the, the courts actually upheld her, her case. And so, yeah, like this whole thing. And then, of course, that's when uh, years later, the the producers for Dracula in America kind of swooped in and did an actual deal with her uh, more directly. Right. So it's uh, it's just an interesting story of how this all came about, but they couldn't get the right. So they just did it anyway and just renamed the thing. So uh, I don't know. It's uh it's definitely something you should check out. I, I remember my first kind of experience with Nosferatu being an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, where they're playing Nosferatu at kind of like one of those classic movie theaters. And um, uh, Max Schreck, as Count Orlock, kind of like slides out of the screen and starts going after people. And it's like they did a really good job at making it look exactly like, you know, a living color version of uh, Max Schreck as Nosferatu. 
Count Orlock. So um, I remember being scared the crap out of because I was a kid watching that that show. And uh, anyway, that that was my first you know foray into Nosferatu, and um, and I, I definitely want I think I definitely recommend that everyone go see it. If anything, like I said earlier, to kind of check that one off of their list because this is the uh, this is the this is the original of all vampire movies in cinema, I would say. So check it out. Well, even just more than like vampire movies, I think this is sort of like the jumping off point of horror cinema, right? Like this is beyond just saying classic. I think that people who enjoy horror movies really need to have seen Nosferatu. I mean, it's just like, you, you can't say that you're a horror fan of, you know, you know, all encompassing horror genre and not have seen this movie. I think that it's incredibly groundbreaking and the, you know, German expressions and things like that are important for anybody, film student or not. It's, it's a singular experience. Yeah, it definitely was kind of born out of the German expressionism movement in film. You know, you could say Nosferatu was there. And of course, but two years earlier, we had the cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is theoretically said to be arguably the first horror film. That is true. So the first true horror film. So this all came out of like the same like group of filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really interesting to see that. And if you watch both of these together, you'll see kind of the the filmic angles and the way things are shot and kind of a very ahead of its time art house feel to these films. Oh yeah. They don't necessarily look like you'd expect a 1920s film to look, right? So I would definitely uh I would I would definitely check these out. So uh do you have any honorable mentions, things that almost made your list? Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> the movie or the TV show? The TV show, you rube. What? <laughs> Why do they even tell you that word? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing it everywhere now. Like I'm hearing it in all sorts of like shows and movies that I've never heard of before. <laughs> rube? Everyone's using the word rube. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I heard it in a game, video game the other day too. I was like, what? Where is this coming from? Like everyone's using this word now. From Hannibal Lecter, that's why. Yeah, so obviously Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series, um, far, far superior than the movie, in my opinion. You know, uh, just so much gold to mine there. But yeah, I would say that's uh, the definitive vampirism in TV shows. I'm sorry, Gen Z, with your other vampire shows, Vampire Diaries or whatever the fuck. Uh, I know there's some True Blood fans out there. And well, and that was too. my honorable mention, too. I mean, because I also, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, make no mistake. But I think that True Blood, you know, for reasons that I've already said about movies on this, like, list, I mean, it just fits into my heart so well. I think True Blood was a really good, funny show that had... Inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, I, I will give it that. I mean, like, it started out great and it ended poorly. But by God... God, was that a really queer show, you know? And yeah, versus Buffy, you know, started great and ended great too. <laughs> yes, it did. Buffy is by far one of the best television series ever created. I will sing its praises all day long. I also like True Blood quite a bit. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously we didn't put TV shows on this list, but um, there's been a lot of like vampire TV shows throughout the years. But I think that Buffy is really like tops. And I mean, I like True Blood 
quite a bit. I've never seen like the Vampire Diaries or anything like that, so I don't I don't know. I can't really say, but I mean those two shows were really good. I also like Buffy the movie. I put that on our uh, top ten horror comedies, and I do like that movie quite a bit. It makes me laugh. So I mean, it's just a, it's a good character. That man created a great character in in Buffy. Yes, yes, he did. I think that pretty much wraps up our vampire top 10. Um, guys, let us know what you think about our choices and let us know what some of your favorites are. We'd like to know, and you can do that on social media at the film flamers on Twitter or Facebook or even Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueen.filmflamers.com or you can call us at our hotline and leave a message so that we can put it on the air and talk about it and respond to you. And you can do that at 972-666-7733. We would love to hear the sound of your voices and we will play all of those comments on our next Shooting the Flames episode. And if you want to get all of our episodes, sometimes two to three weeks early, along with our bonus episodes, then you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash thefilmflamers. I have not been releasing episodes that early uh, just because of my move to the Boston area, Salem adjacent, but I'm getting back into speed. So things are things are being released at least a week in advance, uh, starting now-ish uh, up, upon this recording. So, uh, you know, expect some, uh, some early bird stuff there pretty regularly yep early releases and lots of bonus content not to mention all the bonus content that we've putting out since the inception of our podcast so there's quite a bit to listen to and you can get all of that for as little as two dollars so head over there and check it out well guys keep looking forward through november after this we have a hot take coming out and our deep dive into interview with the vampire which i know we are sort of chomping at the vampire bits to discuss yes that's that's very true we've been beating the shit out of it before we even talk about it sorry that was funny so until next time guys sweet Sweet dreams. dreams i have no witty vampirisms to say after that i don't even know but bite me <laughs> Apple pie pussy. I don't know. <laughs> what? It's the fun fucking dust till dawn, right? Oh. <laughs> Apple should, pie pussy. Maybe I should pick another one. I don't know. Chicken pussy. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find cheaper pussy, fuck it. <laughs> you need to cut all that shit out. I don't even know. <laughs> okay okay i have to pee so i'm gonna stop recording you can't find it here you don't want it (laughs) (laughs) okay